Well, good evening, church. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, my name is Carter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossbridge. Grateful to have you worshiping with us on this Sunday evening on what is historically called Reformation Day. Uh, This is the day that churches all across the world, uh, Protestant churches, celebrate what took place 505 years ago when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses, seeking revival among the church, a bold and courageous act uh, that gave birth to the Protestant movement, the movement that we are a part of, and so much gospel proclamation and revival and change and transformation has come since the Reformation. And so we stand in a long line from post-Revelation Reformation to pre-Reformation of brothers and sisters in Christ who lived their life with bold faith that sought to see an activated spirit within them, empower them to do incredible ministry. And so we remember them, we thank them for that church history that we're a part of, and you are a part of. You're a part of a long line of church history of God doing and activating amazing things in the lives of his people. And I believe that he is not done doing that. That's why we've been in this series for the past seven weeks called Activated, which was a series we did four years ago. I told you from the very beginning, this series four years ago changed my life, and I believe that if you spend time in this series, if when you missed, you went back and watched online or listened to the podcast, if you took notes, some of you for the first time in your life, taking notes in the sermon, that God would change your life too. Because I think when you see the full spectrum of who God is, his nature, Father, Son, and Spirit, and you look into the Holy Spirit and how he moves and how he acts and how he activates the church with gifts and how we're called to spiritual practices and what that looks like, your life will be changed. The way that you engage your work, your family, your friends, the way you engage the weekend, the way you engage your church will be changed. And so I believe that the Spirit wants to do much more through this church and in this city. And, and I believe that so much that tonight I brought two Bibles, okay? Two Bibles. That means this is the series finale. So two Bibles means we're bringing it all. And it's really because uh, there's a, a version that I like better in the message version for our passage in Acts 2. And then the other versions will be in ESV, which is the translation I typically use. But... You can take it as two Bibles means double power, okay? That's what God's going to do tonight. As I said, this is the series finale, and we're going to look into how to live an activated life. We've been going through this series looking into the third person of God, the Holy Spirit. We've looked into spiritual practices. We spent the the past three weeks looking into all the spiritual gifts that we see in Scripture, and we said we believe that these gifts are alive and active In the church, the Spirit is empowering people with these gifts and that we want to see a healthy representation of these gifts activated here at Crossbridge. And here's my prayer. My prayer is is that over the course of the past seven weeks, for those of you that have been tracking with us, that God has activated something in you, that he has taught you something. Maybe you have learned more about the Holy Spirit. You've grown deeper in your understanding of his involvement in your life and how he's working in the church. Maybe you've come to a deeper understanding of spiritual gifts and maybe God has begun to activate some spiritual gifts in your life. Maybe you see the importance of being a part of the church because we are one body, many members. We're called to be united. We're called, in fact, to use our gifts, not for our own benefit alone, but for the common good of the church 
in the city. And so I want to start by inviting you to do something that we're going to bring up later in our worship service, and I think it's going to be important. So we have a text number here. You can see the text number on the screen behind me. It's 305-930-7006. I want to ask you right now, take out your phones, take a picture of that, put that number in your phone. Some of you receive text messages from us, so you have that number. And I want you to text in. You can put your name if you want, or you can leave it anonymous any way you want. But tell me what has God activated in your life in the past seven weeks or for your engagement in this series? What has he activated? What has he taught you? Share me with that with us. I'm going to give you a moment when I get one of my two Bibles ready so you can take the picture, you can get the number because we're going to move past this. And I want to make sure that we can represent the things that God has done in this church and be excited about what he's activating for the future because the journey of living spirit-filled and being spirit-led and being activated by the spirit does not end because the series is over. Amen? It doesn't end. This is just the beginning of the journey for you and for our church. And so we want to celebrate what we believe God is going to continue to teach and what he's going to continue to activate. So if you have the number, get the number, take a picture. We're going to represent that later. So our passage tonight comes from Acts chapter 2. Let me set it up very briefly. Acts chapter 2 is a historic event. It's the accounts of a historic event celebrated in many churches all over the world every single year, and that is the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was a day that took place 10 days after Jesus' ascension. At the day of Pentecost, there are thousands of people gathered. The apostles are empowered and activated to preach and to minister to the people. The Holy Spirit descends on people in a powerful way. People are hearing the gospel in their own language. And Peter there preaches a sermon where thousands of people come to faith. A unique, historic event. And in the sermon that Peter is preaching, he quotes a prophet from the Old Testament. He quotes the prophet Joel. Now, this prophet wrote these prophetic words hundreds upon hundreds of years before Jesus was born, before the day of Pentecost. And Peter is going to recount these prophetic words as the Spirit gave these words to Joel hundreds of years prior. And Peter is going to say, this is actually now. What the prophet Joel had in his mind, what the spirit activated in him when he wrote down those prophetic words and declared them is taking place on Pentecost and on every day after. So Peter is preaching and he recounts, as I said, the prophet Joel starting Acts chapter 2, verse 17 through 21. Here's what God's word says to us. This is what the prophet Joel announced would happen. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, also your daughters. Your young men will see visions and your old men dream dreams. When the time comes, I will pour out my spirit on those who serve me, men and women both, and they'll prophesy. I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billowing smoke, the sun turning black and the moon blood red. 
before the day of the Lord arrives, the day tremendous and marvelous. And whoever calls out for help to me, God, will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Peter here is saying something of great significance. He's saying that the prophet Joel had in mind this moment and the days that would come after Pentecost, that God is going to pour out his spirit, this Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on every kind of people, and there's going to be signs and wonders and prophecy and all types of amazing activation among God's people. Peter says this is happening right now to the crowd of thousands before him. Now, I want to set us firmly on truth so we understand exactly what Peter is saying and the effects that will come to us and we experience as post-Pentecost people. I want to make sure we understand very clearly, and so I want you to hear this. On the day of Pentecost and every day after, the Holy Spirit has come to work uniquely and in a fresh way among God's people. It was very unique on the day of Pentecost, but there was a new dimension to the Holy Spirit's working in the world and among the church. However, the Holy Spirit has always been working. It is not as if the Holy Spirit was dormant for all of human history, and then at the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was finally poured out into God's creation. The Holy Spirit has always been working. You see, in the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit working as well. If you look back into the Old Testament, you're going to see several instances. I want to bring up a couple. The first is, there's a word in Hebrew, and it's the word ruach. This word means wind or breath. There's 377 times that this word is used in the Old Testament, and 94 of them, it refers to the Spirit of God, the breath of God, the wind of God. It's speaking of the Holy Spirit. You see, there's this understanding that's being imparted on the people of God all the way back in the Old Testament that God in his nature is triune. He is Father, he is Son, and he is Holy Spirit, and he has always existed in this nature. The Holy Spirit, the wind of God, the breath of God has been working since the very beginning of creation. In fact, when you go to Genesis chapter 1, what do you read? You read that the Spirit was hovering over the waters before anything was created, trees or animals or us. The Spirit was hovering over the waters. We also read that after the Spirit was hovering over the waters, when creation was formed, what do we read? The Spirit is breathed into the life of man and woman. Adam and Eve formed in the image of God, for God breathed his image into them. And the Holy Spirit has been working since creation all throughout God's people. He's been empowering leaders. He's been anointing people for special callings. He's been helping the people of God fulfill their callings. His presence, though, primarily was kept in the temple in the Holy of Holies, where the anointed priests would go once a year. Tied with a rope around their ankle for the presence of God was something that you do not mess with. And if they did anything wrong, there's a chance that the high priest might get struck dead in the presence of God. And so they would tie a rope around their ankle so that if behind the curtain they died, they could pull them out because nobody else could go in. 
And there on the the day of atonement, they would sprinkle the blood for the sins of the people. And it's where the presence of God at the Ark of the Covenant was held. But the Holy Spirit was working. He was working among God's people. He was breathing. His wind was being made known to people. But on the day of Pentecost, you need to understand that there was a new dimension of the way that the Holy Spirit came to work in and among God's people. I wrote a little definition for you. It helps me. I hope it helps you. Pentecost is the inaugural event signifying the new and more expansive dimension of the Holy Spirit's activity among God's people. The Holy Spirit has always been working. He has always been. He is pre-existent. He is eternal, as is the Father and the Son, for God is one essence, three persons. And yet, at the day of Pentecost and every day after, there was a new, a fresh, and expansive dimension to the Holy Spirit's working. Here's one way to help you think about it. I'm not going to ask out loud, but you can, you can answer this in your mind. Was Jesus always Son of God, always existing? Yes, for he is eternal. Second person of God, the Son of God, was eternal. In fact, Jesus speaks about this, right? John recounts in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and through the Word all things were created. Then Jesus says, I am the Word. The Son of God is, in fact, God himself and has always existed, Father, Son, and Spirit. But Jesus, the Son of God, the name given to God when he was born of a virgin, as we're about to celebrate, can you believe it, in two months on Christmas, when Jesus was born, that ushered in a new and expanded dimension of the Son of God's involvement in our human history and in, among God's people. On Christmas, we celebrate that the Son of God, the Creator, has come into our midst born of a virgin, born to save, a new dimension, a fresh dimension. And this is exactly what happens on Pentecost with the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is like Christmas Day, but for the Holy Spirit, okay? One way to think about it, a new and fresh dimension. And I'm telling you all of this because I want you to hear this and understand the gift and the blessing it is for us to be post-Pentecost people, to be some 2,000 years later after this event, this event when the Holy Spirit comes in a new and fresh and expansive way. I want to highlight two primary things, two primary effects that are activated within us, are given to us as a gift from the Holy Spirit for us, the church. So here's the first one. The Holy Spirit for you is a down payment on your future inheritance. For all of us, the Holy Spirit is a down payment of our future inheritance. Here's what Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Listen to these words. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, that is Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Here's what's being said by Paul. 
When you came to faith in Jesus, when you believed in the gospel, the good news of your salvation, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And here's what the Holy Spirit seals upon your mind and your heart and upon your life even when you doubt it. That you have a future inheritance that is guaranteed to you. Do you know how emboldening that is? How much confidence that should bring you? How much rest that should give you? The Holy Spirit is a down payment on your future inheritance. The Apostle Paul says, the inheritance that we will one day acquire possession of. He is speaking of your eternal reality of existing with the very God who loves you in perfect love with him and with one another. The Holy Spirit seals that upon your life. And even when you doubt it, it is still sealed upon your life. I need you to hear that. How profound that is. How easy it is for us as Christians to think that we have some element of working towards the very things that God has already freely given. That somehow, yes, I believe in Jesus, that he lived the life that I couldn't. He died the death that I deserve. He paid for my sins. He was buried and he came forth victorious from the grave. He's the Lord of life, as we just sang. And I receive God's grace and his mercy, but I keep messing up. And there's no way that I can keep messing up like this and my fate cannot be sealed in a positive way, maybe I could seal my fate in a negative way by my actions and my thoughts and my decisions. So one of the blessings for you is that if you come to faith in Jesus, even when you don't know it, even when you doubt it, even when you go back to your works, righteousness, performance, faith mentality, the, the Spirit has already sealed upon your life the down payment of the guarantee of your future inheritance, which is yours. You don't have to work for your salvation because Christ already worked for you. His work paid for you. That's sealed upon your life. That's who you are and that is given to you. In fact, in the Old Testament, we read about the different dimensions and levels of, of people among God's people, right? You had these leaders and you had these kings. You had prophets and you had priests. And the priests were anointed by the Spirit in a special way to perform duties and actions for God's people. Well, now that the Spirit has sealed you, your mind, your heart, your whole life is sealed with Christ, and the guarantee of your inheritance is before you, the Apostle Paul says that you are now the holy priesthood. You're the priesthood. There's no longer classes of people. You are a priest. I want you to go home and look in the mirror tonight and say, I'm a priest. You're a priest. You are called by God to understand that he has a calling on your life, that the inheritance that is yours is sealed by the Spirit. You are now the spiritual house of God. There is no temple that you must go to to find and experience just a glimpse or a, a connection or some nearness to the presence of God that's hidden away in a room. No, the Spirit of God, the presence of God is in this room, and he's living and active within you. That is guaranteed upon your life, and you no longer have to go to a priest. You are the priest. Direct access to God. And you don't need to tie a rope around your leg to go to God in prayer either. He's not going to strike you dead. He already struck Christ down on the cross so you can go to him freely. That's guaranteed and placed upon your life. See, here's what I want you to understand, church. 
We have, all of us in this room, all of us, regardless of whether you have been a Christian for one day or 10 years or 50 years, all of us have the same thing, same spirit, the same seal, the same inheritance, and the same power, all of us. And that's the second thing that's the effect of the post-Pentecost people is that we have the seal of the Holy Spirit upon us. We have the same spirit. We have the same inheritance. We have the same power and we have the same activation. God wants to activate great things in your life. The spirit has promised to do so. In fact, the prophet Joel hundreds of years before Pentecost said, hey, here's what God's gonna do in the last days. He is gonna pour out his spirit in a profound way among God's people. There's gonna be great activation. Verse 17 says this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Look at the barriers that have been brought down. It's listed there in the passage that we read from Acts chapter 2. Who is God going to pour his spirit upon? Men and women, sons and daughters, young and old, everyone. In fact, many translations take that every kind of people and they translate it all flesh. The reason they translated all flesh is because they want you to understand what the prophet Joel is saying. The spirit is going to pour out upon people of all ages, of all genders, of all social rank, of all races, on every type of person. Everyone will experience a pouring out of the spirit through faith. It's a seal upon you of your future inheritance, and there's an activation that is yours. The prophet Joel says those very two things. The very end, verse 21, Peter recounts, and he says that what the Spirit is going to pour out is salvation, that seal of salvation. And that is given to us, and it happens there on Pentecost too, when 3,000 people come to faith. But he's also going to pour out signs and wonders and and prophecy. He's going to pour out these very unique, activated gifts, dreams, and vision. What is the prophet saying that Peter is bringing up to those in attendance and those of us here this evening? The Spirit is pouring out not only the seal of salvation upon your life, but a fresh activation of profound things dreams and visions and prophecy and wonders and signs. And the Spirit activates these things, these profound things, through two aspects. The first is bold faith, and the second is a right spirit. Actually, Jesus prophesies this. In Matthew chapter 10, here's what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, he's speaking about the bold faith that is to be given to you and why you should have that type of faith. He says, when they deliver you over, he's speaking of persecution, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. 
It is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father speaking through you. Jesus is saying, when you're facing trouble and and tribulation and difficulty and discomfort and persecution, do not be anxious. Don't have a spirit of fear because when you feel like, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to have bold faith. I don't know how to stand on truth. I don't know how to share with people that I go to church or that I believe in Jesus or tell the story of how Jesus has changed my life. I don't know. Guess what? You don't have to speak. God's going to speak through you. The Spirit of the Father, the Holy Spirit, will speak through you. Listen, you do not have to speak for God. Do you know that? You don't have to speak for God. God will speak for himself through you. Do you know that? God will speak for himself through you. Do you know how much peace that should give you? How much boldness and confidence that should give you in your faith? You see, in the early church, we read about these heroes of the faith, Peter and Paul, James and John and Barnabas and Priscilla and Aquila and Junia and all these amazing men and women of faith. Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Do you know what it continually says when Peter preaches or when he performs miracles, when the the apostles use their gifts, or when Stephen is in fact martyred, here's what it says time and time again. They were filled with the Spirit. When they distributed, and when they stood upon, when they displayed bold faith, it says they were filled with the Spirit. Now, they were filled with the Spirit from the moment that they came to faith in Jesus. The Apostle Paul has already told us that, that you received the sealing of the Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, the down payment of your future inheritance upon your life. But there was a fresh filling that gave them bold faith. Can you imagine the type of faith that they had? Stephen, he chooses Christ. and He's filled with the Spirit when he speaks. Peter, when he speaks, Junia, when she prophesies and speaks, amazing. Why is the text in the New Testament continually telling us that these men and women of faith are filled with the Spirit when they display bold faith? I believe it's because we are to know that as post-Pentecost people, we have a double blessing. We have the blessing of the seal of our inheritance upon our life, even when we doubt it. And secondly, we have immediate and special activation of the Spirit's power for bold faith. See, there is no longer any holy of holies. The veil has been torn upon Jesus' death. The presence of God is not locked away in a place and is not reserved for certain people. The Spirit of God has been poured out on all flesh, on every kind of person. And what that means for you is that you have immediate and special activation of the Spirit's power for bold faith. Here's how that should change very practically your life. When you're feeling discouraged, when you're feeling uncomfortable, when you're feeling like you should speak up or you should share your faith or you should invite someone or you should share about what Jesus has done in your life and you feel maybe attacked, or you feel uncomfortable, or you feel like there's a distance, or you're just nervous about it, you have special and unique and immediate activation of the Spirit's power for bold faith. 
to be filled with the Spirit. A fresh filling time and time again. My prayer, church, is that you would understand and you would desire for more Holy Spirit. More Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit continues to pour himself out more and more and more. In fact, listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I love this passage. I've been meditating on this the past couple weeks. And I want you to receive this charge that Paul gives to his disciple, Timothy, because he's charging us with this too. Here's what he says, verse, 16 and 17, verse 6 and 7 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. He's speaking about faith here. Which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave you a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The Apostle Paul says, listen, I want you to fan fan to flame the gift that you have received. The gift of faith the gift that God has activated within you. And I want you to see it fanned into flame by having a right spirit. Here's what you need to hear and need to understand. Bold faith is fanned into flame by a right spirit. Nobody just arrives at having bold faith. It's not like randomly you wake up and you're like, I'm going to have bold faith today. Or, hey, there was a sermon on bold faith, and so I'm just going to coincidentally now have bold faith. Nobody has bold faith randomly. When you look at the stories of history and you look at the men and women of faith that stood boldly upon their faith, it didn't just come out of nowhere. The the flame that is their faith was fanned by a right spirit. Have you ever made a, a campfire before? I make campfires in Miami every time it goes below 68 degrees. I just do that because it's too cold, so I make a fire. But I've, I've come to love the starting of the fire. You know, you put the little sticks down. It's like called kindling. And you put some paper and, and you get the embers going. Now, if you try to make a campfire and you put all the little sticks on the bottom and you try to make it without lighter fluid, you know, you're just putting it, you're making it the natural way. And you light it and you have those little embers. If you just light that and walk away, is that fire going to start? No, it's not going to we got some people from the country in the back. They know how to do it. It's not going to start. How do you get that fire to start once you light the embers? Two things. You give it attention and you provide movement, wind. You blow on it. Not too much, not too little. You've got to have attention and you blow it. You fan it into flame. So those embers become a raging fire. A raging fire. See, I'm telling you that because here's how bold faith is activated within you, is when you fan it into flame by giving attention to your spirit and allowing the breath, the movement of God to blow upon it. The Apostle Paul says here that you're to fan into flame the gift of faith, and then he says the kind of spirit you're meant to have. He says three things, power, love, and self-control. Power, 
love, and self-control. You're not to have a spirit of fear, he says, but have a spirit of power and love and self-control. And I do not think it is a coincidence that we have been going through these spiritual gifts the past six weeks, or the past three weeks, and we've been looking and separating these gifts into three categories. What are the categories? Love, word, and power. It is not a coincidence to me that the, what you're to fan into flame, what you're to give attention to and allow the Spirit to pour and blow and His breath upon is a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. Or that word really is about mental discipline rooted on truth. Truth and love and power. And here's the thing, church. All of us in this room Every single one of us is meant to fan into flame a spirit of power and love and self-control. Not just some of us. And some of those words may have popped in your head. You may have thought, yes, the church needs to have a spirit of love. Or the church needs to have a spirit of power. Or the church needs to be more self-controlled. You know what's interesting is that's probably connected to your spiritual gifting. If you have a spiritual gift of love one of those love gifts, you probably believe the church needs to have a spirit of love. And if you have a power gift, you're probably like, the church needs to believe in signs and wonders and miracles. Prophet Joel was right. Can we believe it? It's connected to it. And if you have a word gift, you're believing that the church needs to stand on self-control. We need to be on truth. We need to be teaching truth. We need discipleship on truth. It's connected to these things, and you individually are called to fan the flame of bold faith in your life by having a right spirit of love and power and self-control, and we, the church, are to have a right spirit too, a bold faith as a church as we fan the flame of a right spirit of power and of truth and of love. Here's my closing, my charge to you. Two very simple things that I want to ask you to activate and to consider and to write down into your life. The first is this. How do you fan the bold flame and a right spirit into your life? Here's the first thing. You practice the spiritual gifts you don't have. You see, we don't have all the spiritual gifts. The church is meant to have all of them represented well and working together because there's an interdependence of gifts. But you as an individual do not have every spiritual gift. Why? Because you're not Jesus. But you have many gifts. And one of the ways that you fan the flame of bold faith in your life and you see a right spirit of power and love and self-control in your life is that you practice the gifts that you have not received. So, We've gone through several of them. But if you don't have the gift of service or mercy or giving or evangelism or discernment or prayer or teaching or encouragement, if you don't have those gifts, you don't just say, that's for someone else. You practice the gifts you don't have. Because when you practice them, it fans the flame of bold faith and it puts a right spirit within you of love and power and self-control. Because we're all to practice these things to fan that flame. That's the first thing. Practice the gifts you don't have. And the second thing is to pursue and deploy the spiritual gifts that God has or is activating. What are your spiritual gifts? Maybe you're discovering them. 
over the past couple weeks. Maybe you already know them. If it is evangelism, pursue and deploy it. If it is teaching, pursue it and deploy it. If it is prophecy, pursue it and deploy it. If it is prayer, pursue it and deploy it. If it is mercy, pursue it and deploy it. Giving, pursue it and deploy it. Administration, pursue it and deploy it. Because here's the deal. We as the church are called to give attention to the embers of faith and the the movement of the Spirit in the community. We're to usher in the Spirit and invite Him to blow on the embers to fan a flame. But the reason that the Spirit has given you spiritual gifts is because at times He wants you to take lighter fluid and blow it into the fire. Because that flame is going to erupt. And that's why spiritual gifts have been given for the benefit of the body, for the building up, for the fanning of the flame of the church. To activate the church in a powerful way. And so I want to invite you to stick with us, to engage us, to let us know what your spiritual gifts are. Pursue them develop them and deploy them we as a leadership committed to help you deploy your gifts you may say i don't know what my gifts are let us help you discover them i don't know how to deploy it talk to myself talk to simone let us know because this is our calling church to have bold faith to have a right spirit and we are post-pentecost people that not only have the seal of salvation upon our lives but we have the activation of the spirit who wants to do powerful things, signs and wonders. Do you believe that God can do signs and wonders in 2022? I do. Listen to me. I am not seeking a balance of the spiritual gifts. I'm seeking a bounty of the spiritual gifts. A bounty, church. We want a healthy representation of all of them, but we want God to pour out. And I'm not concerned with labels. I hope you are not either. I don't care if someone says that I'm charismatic or charismatic. That doesn't matter to me. I want to be biblical. I want to pursue the gifts. I want to see the Spirit pour out upon the church. I want Him to activate us. I want Him to give us bold faith in a city that is cowardly on these things. I want us to have a right spirit. I want people to come here and say, that's a community of power, love, and self-control. God's going to activate that church. Amen. I really believe that, and I hope you do too. And we're meant to do it together. It's not an individual enterprise. It's a corporate enterprise. Would you pursue that? Would you let tonight just be the start of the journey to see what God's going to do? And I believe next year in 2023, the close of this year into next year, we're going to be up here saying, hey, the prophet Joel was right. Signs and wonders and prophecy and visions and dreams and salvation being poured out by the Spirit to all kinds of people. Because my prayer is that all these people living in our city, that think, I'm not the kind of person that God would want to pour out his spirit upon. They would encounter you and they would say, no, God wants to pour his spirit out on me too. It's for all people. Amen? Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. You're profoundly good to us. and We don't deserve it. But it leaves us in awe that you are a God that invites us to be involved in your enterprise of redeeming and changing the world. You don't leave us on the sidelines. You invite us to pursue you, to experience a fresh activation of the Spirit. I pray for each person tonight 
I pray that they would experience a sealing of the Holy Spirit upon their life, their minds and their heart. That they would know that there's a down payment that's already been paid upon their life of their future inheritance. They don't have to work for it. God, we are enough for you. Would we rest in that reality? Would we work from a place of rest because our inheritance has already assured us we will acquire possession of it? And would we also experience and pursue the benefit of our standing in the course of your redemptive history that we have the ability to experience a fresh activation of the Spirit, that we can be filled by you, Holy Spirit, in a fresh way tonight as you are working in a new and expanded way in your church and in the world. Would we be people of bold faith, of a right spirit? Would people look upon our lives and the life of this church and say, that's a place of power and love and self-control. Would you activate in that in us, Holy Spirit? We believe that you want to do profound things, signs and wonders and dreams and visions. You want to pour out your salvation on all types of people. Would we not waste our life and step into that with you? Experience the joy of being a part of the great work that you are doing. Would we be an activated church? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.